0: Your DWS podcast is brought to you by First Nations Fiber. First Nations Wireless is now First Nations Fiber. You've seen our team working through the community to get you connected. From the new development to the OCR, from the 207 Acclaim Mountains, FN Fiber makes fiber optic internet easy for everyone. Coming to Guanajuaga soon. Visit radio.fnfiber.com to sign up today. Welcome to The Beading Table. You're here with Leaf Makiwa and Degorhiakwa Stand Up. And today's topic we're going to talk about is a mishmash of all kinds of things. It's called bead soup. So Degorhiakwa, where should we start today?
1: Um, So I think in our last podcast, we had touched a little bit on profiting off of other people's design, other people's design and just selling patterns and uh, designs and stuff like that. So uh, there were a few questions that people had brought up, uh, I think, on our um, Instagram.
0: Yeah. And I will ask a question since I kind of don't have very much experience with this because I'm not necessarily a teacher of beadwork. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that was brought up was when someone is making profit from a pattern of design that you have shared with them. Now, I know you have experience teaching and we've had some other um, conversations with other beaters in the community about their teaching as well. So how do you feel about that question?
1: I don't really no honestly it's well not that I don't know I I guess I don't really have too much feelings on it for me I look at it if people have taken my classes or I make patterns and I sell them at the shop so once they're gone then I don't really care I guess (laughs) it's it's not a big deal to me it's kind of like okay well to each their own after that it doesn't really uh it doesn't bother me we were talking earlier though about me it's almost because it's I'm giving consent for those I've I've drawn them, I've given them, I made my peace with it, you know, so in that way, I don't really care. There's a difference between, it kind of goes back into what we were talking about in the last, our last podcast about copying and things like that. Now, if I were to see one of my patterns that I didn't give consent to, and somebody just kind of, you know, took them, and then they're selling it everywhere and profiting off of it, and then, yeah, it kind of, that bugs me so that's the differences I guess in that you know in that sense in that
0: regard yeah so what about if okay so everyone kind of not everyone I should say but within our community um, there are various styles that people kind of tend to do more often than not and then on what I mean styles I mean like literal designs and you can kind of see people's flower images that they tend to use on other people's things who've taken their classes. Would you say that because just now what your statement was, is that because once you have a class, it's kind of given to the masses and it's like you've, like you said, you made your piece of, piece of, piece of it and whatnot. So people profit, profiting off of that is fine for you?
1: Yeah. I don't mind if it's something that I've given. And Has I, anybody
0: ever inboxed you and said, oh, I just saw your design and so-and-so is selling
1: it? Probably offhand. I can't remember, you know, but.
0: And is that necessary? Or you're like, I, design, I don't really care
1: no like when it's classes or stuff that i've uh like sold it then i don't care like i don't care you know like i said i've given given it so (laughs) it doesn't bother me at all like it's not uh not that big of a deal um do you
0: have people who often go up to bat for you in terms of like if they if they've seen something that you might have done and then like rally on your behalf or um send it to you to rally yeah (laughs) To start, not not to start something, because I don't think it's just start like a No, situation. but like a heads up. Like yeah. sometimes
1: of like a heads up. Yes, I've had that happen. I've had people like, uh, uh I talked about it previously on like that. I had somebody kind of copy me, I guess, in a sense, on a project that I did years ago. And for years, I had mentioned that I only addressed the situation with the lady like three years after the whole the whole thing. And... No Word of a Lie had like a million posts, like people tagging me constantly every time the Mm. lady posted her image. So I was constantly being tagged in it and tagged in it. And it was different people all the time, like tagging me like, hey, this looks like yours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so stuff like that. So yeah, in that sense, I did have a lot of um, support in that way, you know, so which was nice. It was nice (laughs) to Mm -hmm. like, you know, but yeah, people have um, have done that for me. So I don't know, like, When it comes to that, I I don't know how everyone feels. I can't really talk for everybody. But yeah, for me, I I don't really have like a whole... There's a difference between my consent giving it where I don't care. It's totally fine. And then, like I said, like somebody replicating it and then making profit off of it. Like, I'm not cool with that.
0: Now, I have a little bit of a dilemma. So I normally do custom work, right? And... Well, obviously with custom work, it's designed something for somebody specifically and all that kind of stuff. I don't often do just like off the fly, just random things. How do you feel about replicating your own designs? And we had talked about it. I mean, I just remembered we talked about it on the last podcast, but do you replicate your own designs?
1: I have. Yes, I think I have. Have I? I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> Offhand, I can't think, but I don't really have a problem with it. But there's differences so if if it's a pattern that I've made generically, just in general, where it's like, oh, OK, well, today I feel like doing this or whatever. I'll repeat it in different colors or whatever, because it's not specific and it's not for someone, you know. But if it was an order, if it was, you know, in that case, then I don't replicate because that, that was specific for somebody. So in that sense, no, then I wouldn't be replicating it. What about you? Do you uh, have you replicated other Any of your pieces, I know that you don't normally, like you said, do things on a whim. So
0: No, I have never, far far as I know, I've never replicated anything outside of like replicating it on pieces that go with like an outfit, like in terms of like the Mm -hmm. same design kind of thing on an outfit.
1: Like it's all going to the same person. Like it's all going to the same person.
0: yeah. Yeah. I tried, I don't want to say I try not to replicate my flowers. I do replicate like, cause I mean, I have like standard designs where I have, drawn out a design someplace, and then I maybe tack it on to one, one outfit here, and then maybe three years I pull it out and I say, oh, that would look good here, but it doesn't have anything, it doesn't flow at all the same in, in terms of like, it's just like the same flower, it's like a round flower, say, or a pointy yeah. flower or whatever. I really, I mean, I guess I set myself up not to, I set myself up in a difficult situation when I kind of said to myself, I always want to try to challenge and do something different every time. So now I kind of have a set in my way that I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. But after a while, you sometimes tap out. And I think, and, and I've been thinking about this more and now since I'm in this beating hold and we talked about it on the last podcast and I was just, in, I'm like in awe of people who are able to do multiples of earrings or moccasins or whatever. Like I'm, I'm kind of in awe of that and I'm kind of like toying around with it in my mind just because fingers crossed. And maybe by the time this podcast comes out, I'll have gotten into a show. And with that being said, then I would have to start producing in the midst of doing some grad or some custom work, and then maybe working on a a larger scale piece. But I think that in order to be productive, maybe having replicas, maybe in terms of like design, but not necessarily color uh, themes, like Mm -hmm. different themes would be very beneficial because then it could be like not mass produced, but just give me a give me a way out to not have to be so sounds so bad, so creative, but like to over, have to yeah. think really, because right now I feel like I'm not necessary in that space of really thinking and hashing out some really in depth thing. So I think I've really been thinking about like replicating some stuff, and not that I want the go ahead from somebody, but I think the reassurance that it's hard to say that it's okay. But I don't know. I'm just like I said, I'm just toying with the idea, and I've never really done that before. So I'm really just sitting with that and. And hopefully I can do it, (laughs) but I don't know if I can.
1: So, Well, it is something, though, that we're seeing more and more where like art doesn't always have to be super different and create like I don't want to say creative because that sounds like uh, if you're replicating that, it's not a creative art because it is because you're still doing a lot of differences, even when it's the same design. So there are a lot of um, beadwork artists that I've seen who replicate the exact same Uh, say a floral pattern, it's the same layout and all of that. And it's beautiful in the sense that because each time it comes out, it's a different color. So it kind of makes it all fresh and new again. And it, it does look completely different. You know, I've seen a few beaters where it's the same design, but it's used on multiple things. So it's not, you know, it's been like they used it for a barrette or then they've used it for a bracelet or then, you know, so those kind of things, but it's the exact same thing. So I like how it's innovative where it's Mm -hmm. the same thing, but it's just done in different platforms, you know, on those in that case too. So, so anyways, I, I, I like the whole idea of that, like having it multiples and kind of just redone, but in different ways, you know, another um, question, I guess. So we were saying like, this is basically like a bead soup type mm-hmm. of uh, podcast today because there were a lot of different questions that came out on uh, on our Instagram and people reaching out and had different uh, things. I'm just going to jump back to a question that somebody had was, how much time have you spent beading to get to the level you're at?
0: How much time have I spent? My youngest son is seven. I would say it's only been really in the last... Maybe ten years that I've really honed what I think would be my niche in terms of like what I would see as my art form, I guess maybe I mean beadwork is my art form, but my real maybe aesthetic has really only been maybe solidified in the last ten years, which means like there's obviously more room for growth all the time. It's never like stagnant, I don't think, but um yeah, so about ten years, so I don't know how many hours that would even be, but I think what happens is is that for me my my Optimal learning happens during March to say maybe October, which is kind of odd because that's really like the downtime for people to beat. really, I think, because a lot of times people are beating like more in the winter months. But for me, because it's like three months before graduation, and it's like five, six months before a show or something like depending on what show you go to, but I'm talking about Santa Fe. In this case, for me, So that's like the optimal time for me. And then, of course, after I finish a show, which is in the end of August, well, like I said, Santa Fe, I'm on like a bead hype. Like, I am hyped. I've gone to Santa Fe and I've done whatever and I've seen all these things. And you really like, it's an experience. And unfortunately, you can't really experience it all. I don't think as an artist, if you're showing there because you have to be at your spot or whatnot, but just the vibe. And then like, if you're able to maybe go and purchase some new materials and stuff from that area, you come home feeling really re-energized and ready for the next project, which will last about maybe... (laughs) a month and a half to two. And then you kind of like, oh, for me, I kind of go down in a, a spiral in terms of like beating where I'm really productive September, October. I got all kinds of new designs and everything's going great. And then it's just like a lull. And then it's, it kind of restarts itself all over again. So I think for me, in terms of my most productive time is those months, but it's also during those years that I'm actually doing the shows. And I think it's just because for me, it really is a huge challenge to try to make something that's innovative and different and something really out there that, not that I wouldn't necessarily make it for here, but it really is for me, it's a different aesthetic because what it is, is that you're trying to really reel in those people who not necessarily will will buy it, but there's a whole, like, there's a, there's aesthetic for Kahnawake, there's aesthetic for, say, somewhere in Six Nations, there's aesthetic for someplace out West or even like somewhere like way maybe down south or whatnot, there's different things that people gravitate to, like colors and different like um, maybe designs or stuff like that. So it really challenges me because I know that the majority of people who are at those places are from the south. So they may want more earth tones in terms of like turquoise or terracotta or something like that. And maybe the purples and all that kind of stuff might not be so enticing for them. Maybe it would be, but I find a lot of more earth tones like that are more um, attractive to that audience. So it really allows me to be more, I don't want to say more creative. It just allows me to tap into a different side of what my creativity is. And I think that really helped me to have a jumping point for how I became the artist I am. And it sounds so, so like not narcissistic. It just sounds very... (laughs) me 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 kind of thing but that's the question right like how long what was the question how long did it take (laughs) you to be how much
1: time have you spent beating to get you to the level you're at
0: yeah it's a lot of time it's a lot of time and as the amount of successes i've had in this quote-unquote spotlight are the same amount of having going having to go back to the drawing board and nobody even knew like it's not all like flat stitches and huge raised raised flowers. It's a lot of like cutting out and redesigning and erasing and rethreading and all that kind of stuff. Like that's really what it is. There are more of that than there is of like the success and people buying because you really have to like try and fail and
1: yeah do all that kind of stuff. I think it's an interesting question too, because I had this discussion about levels and about people's learning and things like that and it's sometimes you can't put a a timeline on it either because there are some new beaters that are coming out there who have just started within the last few years who look like they have been beating all their lives yes where they're prodigy i i call them prodigies because there's things on their beadwork where i'm like holy hell like you know like i i started learning those things just recently and Uh this this person's only just started doing that or, you know, so I, I find it, you can't really put a cap on beginning times, like learning times and all of that, because everyone has a different learning style, learning rate, learning curve, curve, time, all of that. So yeah, sometimes I find just your, some people just have it like, Mm -hmm. and it goes real quick. Some people need more time. Some Mm -hmm. people need all the layout and the, the, nitty gritty you know details mm-hmm. and you know they need to know every little thing to elevate their work you know so it's it's um i don't really know if you could put a cap on mm-hmm. time like for uh, your levels and where anybody's levels and all that this kind of like goes into like another topic that we were talking about we just kind of titled it like the importance of making mocks from scratch and it's not just moccasins it's anything in general The importance of starting a process, going through it and seeing it to the end, Mm -hmm. whether it's a success or a failure, the importance of doing that process and what you're learning from the process, you know. So I'm just going to toss a line in here that we, uh, you know, we always bring up and we joke about, but we call it jumping the line. So (laughs) Jumping the line. So do you want to talk about what that means, jumping the line?
0: So maybe just to clarify a little bit, what happens a lot of time is that um, people are very enthusiastic, right? And they want to get their projects done or they have this great idea and um, sometimes they don't necessarily know how to execute the idea to the fullest. They might have like bits and pieces they might know about, but they really want to do this, which is wonderful, But it's not necessarily, maybe it doesn't necessarily drive with my timeline as a teacher. Let's just say we'll just say generically, let's pretend I'm a teacher. So, you know, like I'm a teacher and I'm teaching a class and I have a student who wants to do something and unfortunately I don't have the time to teach it, right? I don't have the time. It's like it's like trying to get the fast pass at Disneyland, you know, like they wanna (laughs) they want it so badly and you just can't you just can't do it. You can't physically give them what it is that they need to finish that project. Sometimes it's frustrating for the simple reason that the person who's trying to execute that project has to realize that sometimes their project isn't as important to somebody else as it is to them and that they have to be patient. And it has a lot to do with like knowing where it is you are in terms of your ability. It's about also learning or knowing that it's okay to not get it right the first time and to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying and although it's frustrating because you have this idea in your head and you can't get it out and you can't execute it to its full potential you have to be willing to take the time and it really is time to try it out yourself and yeah asking somebody for help is okay but sometimes you're jumping the line. You're trying to like you know cut in front of somebody else who's doing something of their own. Whether it's that artist or the artist has like a whole other bunch of people that they're trying to help, and you can't do it. Is that what you were talking about? Because I think that's what it is. Or maybe I just went on a tangent. I don't know. <laughs> no, never-
1: I, it's it's a little bit about that. So part of um, the perfect example that I had was that I do teach. So in some of my classes, sometimes people will make a joke like they'll complete their beadwork and then they'll turn around and say, well, it doesn't look like yours or my flowers, my, my beadwork isn't lining up. It doesn't look like how yours is. So sometimes those are brand new beaders, mm-hmm. you know? So in, in, sometimes in that sense, it's like that's jumping the line where you're brand new. You do need time. You do need to develop some skills, like some people can get it. Immediately, you know, and 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 sometimes it, like you said, it it's a process. It takes time. You have to learn. you have to see how things go. So there was something I had said earlier, and I said, like, I'm not sharing and teaching people to be me, oh, to
0: be the artist that you are, yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah.
1: And I'm not teaching you so that you become me and how I beat and my style and all of that. Like, of course, if that's something that you like or whatever, then yes, you get that inspiration. But as learn as a learner, or I should say, as a teacher, I'm teaching you to be your own bead worker. Mm-hmm. Take the knowledge that I'm giving, that I'm sharing, and make it your own. You know, elevate it, make it better than mine. Do like change something. the designs. Yeah, change it up. Do your own. You know, come up with your own flowers. And not to say that you can't use uh, what I've taught or anything like that. Like because those to me a lot of that it's all universal stuff. I don't own flowers. I don't own vines. I don't. And that's my that's not I don't want to claim I'm not claiming it but that's how what I like you know Mm -hmm. that's so when I do my stuff that's the stuff I like and it's not to say I own it because everybody Mm -hmm. you know everyone does that everyone enjoys those things so as a learner I think that's what it is is that you're taking what people are giving you and elevating it sometimes I don't understand why you would want to do the same as another Some, artist, yeah. because uh-huh. yes, their stuff may be beautiful, but it's already there. It's already out there. Make uh-huh. something better, make something newer, whatever. So that's like kind of my views on like jumping the line. I also look at it like the necessary learning as, you know.
0: Because you mentioned something about like finishing a project till it's completed. And I think that's really important. I think what happens is that depending on what kind of maybe learner or person you are, like sometimes like I have a million unfinished projects, you know, and there's a (laughs) lot of people who have a lot of unfinished projects. And I think what happens is is that during a class, if it becomes a little bit too difficult or frustrated or something happens, like something like, you know, what if something happens in your personal life that doesn't allow you to finish that project? It kind of goes in the backside and then you might want to pick it up later on, but you don't necessarily know how. And so you're trying to find how to finish If any of those other extenuating circumstances don't happen, you should really try to finish your project in the allotted time for the class. Because one, you paid for the class, so you want to get your money's worth. And two, you have the opportunity that this person is now able to teach you within the allotted time. In the allotted time that you've signed up for the class. Now we talked about this too. Like, you know, like I have people reach out and ask me different things about uh how do you do this? How do you do that? And I don't mind sharing or whatever. And this is going to be harsh, everybody. <laughs> and it's not directed at anybody or anything. But we had talked about when do you cut the cord? When do you tell a student, a peer, a mentor, anybody you got to go it alone? When do you cut that cord off and say I can't give you any more. How do you deal with those who want to take your beating soul? <laughs> and that's what it feels like sometimes. Like it Sometimes does. it feels like people are just trying to extract every ounce of knowledge you have about what, and it could be anything. It could be like photography. It could be, it could be anything. It runs the gamut, whatever somebody has knowledge, right? And so when do you cut the cord? How do you deal with those who want to take your beating soul? <laughs> without alienating, alienating those who want to learn, right? Because you don't want to do that. But you have to like have your own practical experiences in the sense where like, you know, I've had many experiences where I put way too much darn glue on something. And then I can't get my needle through what it is I'm trying to bead because there's too much glue. Now one, it might happen like two or three times. Eventually, I might realize that maybe there's too much glue, like I'll make changes to whatever, maybe I'll make changes to my stabilizer, maybe I'll make changes to my velveteen, or maybe I'll make my beads, my needles, anything. Eventually, I'll get to the point where, oh, maybe I'm putting too much glue on, like, you know, you like you make alterations to everything until you find out what works for you. That's what's needed. Like, yes, people are sharing. Yes, you take a class to get some like tips and tricks. But sometimes you just gotta go it alone. And you have to just make the experience your own. And if you come up to a roadblock, you have to use some critical thinking in terms of how to solve the problem. Because today, like we were talking about, like, what does social media, how does social media play for beadwork? It's a lot easier to ask somebody for help, right? Like Before, maybe you had to, like, make a phone call and do that kind of other stuff or wait till maybe you met them on the street or something. But now it's, like, instantaneously you can get information from from anyone,
1: basically at any time. At any time. And that's it. And people sometimes are... Um, with social media, I find sometimes people are easily accessible. And for me, even, you know, I've questioned because I'm a teacher, when am I being a crutch Mm -hmm. to people's learning? Of course, I want to teach. I want to help. I don't mind all of that. But when do I become that crutch where people stop attempting on their own? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like for the most part, I don't always mind when people reach out. When I, I am at my limits, though, I will post it. Like, Please don't ask me anymore. but like my reality sometimes because I'm a teacher because I put myself out there as as a as a helper, I mm-hmm. don't mind, but sometimes it becomes overwhelming where middle of the night, I'm getting inboxes. How do I make this? You know, like holidays, I'm with my family, and it's like I'm getting inboxes, like, hey, how do I make my my moccasins or whatever? So also, I guess because I don't know why and I shouldn't, but I always feel obligated to answer and to help and support everyone. So sometimes I struggle with that. Like, when do you cut the cord? (laughs) You know, when, when is it okay to say, well, you know what, like right now, I just don't have it in me to help you. And we were joking about this. And, you know, like, I think every bead worker at one point in time, like, will stop and say, like, do people think I'm a bitch? You know, (laughs) like, Because sometimes not everyone wants to help and it's not about the person, it's not about the situation, but sometimes we just don't always have it to give more. So, and that sounds awful. It does. It sounds like, oh, like you're gatekeeping, you're holding all the information, but it's the reality is, is that I can't be accessible all the time to everybody um, when they need it. So it's hard. It's trying to find that balance between support, enabling sharing you know all of those things so it's I don't know when honestly for myself I don't know when to cut the cord I think um for my own personal sanity sometimes I when I start feeling resentful that's Mm -hmm. when I know like I've probably already crossed the line because I'm now I'm getting to a point where I'm like I don't want to help I don't want to do anything like Mm -hmm. don't ask me that's how I feel. And I don't like feeling like that. So I know that I've allowed boundaries have been crossed. Exactly. Like I've, I've let people come too far in because yeah, I don't like feeling like that. I don't want to, because by nature I am a teacher too. And I do enjoy doing it, but yeah, it's setting those, those fine lines, you Mm -hmm. know, to say, okay, no, like I need a break, you know, please don't ask. And I've done it. Like, I think it was last year, two years ago, where it was becoming too much, where I was at the store, I'm at work and people are showing up with their stuff to say, how do I put this together? But I'm at work right now, like I can't, you know, so it. Yeah,
0: like it infringes on like on your personal time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It,
0: yeah. And it, it sounds like like a lot of teachers go through that, whether it's teachers at beadwork or teachers in general, like you're always bringing work. It always seems like you're always bringing work home. Yeah. And then
1: it becomes work. That's the problem is that when it starts to feel like work, then it's not, it's not cool anymore, (laughs) you know, like I love teaching you, but when I, when I'm able to teach you, I guess, you know, when I, when I openly open myself up to do that. So
0: I think it has a lot to do too with like, when when I said like, how does social media play? A lot of times social media plays in terms of like texting or inboxing messages and all that kind of stuff. And and this is something I wrote in my book here, my notes, it says beadwork. To be successfully taught, sometimes it has to be hands-on, especially for those who don't know the lingo. And sometimes established artists just don't have the time to write a novel about how to make your puckers better. (laughs) And I don't have maybe necessarily the time to do a Facebook Live or something to do that and it's harsh like even saying that I'm like oh my god people inbox me all the time like you know like for me Mm -hmm. if I don't want to answer your question I won't
1: answer it yeah this is so here's a question so this is what I've heard or as an artist as a bead worker as part of you know Haudenosaunee culture Mm -hmm. what are your responsibilities as an artist So people have asked that, like,
0: Oh my God, that is a deep question. That's not a question we even talked about in, you know, like, I'm just thinking
1: of it now because it has been asked, what do you feel like you're, because, you know, like, we're taught that when you have something, when, when we have gifts or when we're, and this is a gift for people who can do these things, that's a gift to be able to create beautiful things and all of that. What is your responsibility? You know, it's the same with language. We always have that when you learn language, uh, there's a responsibility to continue teaching it on. So, how do you feel about that? And it kind of fits into this with the boundaries. With you know, do you are you always obligated to share and teach? So, what are your thoughts on that?
0: <laughs> my first and foremost thing is one: I don't believe it's my responsibility to handhold you and to make you do the things that I am doing well at. First and foremost, do I think it's my responsibility to help foster appreciation and maybe even encourage you to do those things yes i can't do them for you as i did not expect anybody to do them for me and i think that's realistic because in order to be successful in any of the things that you might have said cultural knowledge language artistry or all that kind of stuff you have to have a drive to do it. And you are talking about a crutch, like, we all know those, prob- those things are important, like, you know, for longevity and sustainability and all that kind of stuff. But it has to come innately from inside yourself about how to do those things. But yeah, like my first in- instinct is to say that I am, I don't want to say I'm willing to help because, yes, I'm willing to help those who want, who are willing to help themselves, period. And I think that's my responsibility. I also believe my responsibility is to maintain integrity of the art. However, I see that as integrity is my thing. That's why I feel integrity and to be able to um, encourage really, I guess, like, you know, I don't want to discourage anybody. I think that's a responsibility, but really like the person who wants to learn or do it has to do it.
1: (laughs) And that's it. I find that the difference is now in the sense that say when you started learning or when I started learning, you know, we didn't have social media like the way it is now. I didn't, I couldn't just, you know, open up a phone and look through a million different things and say, oh my God, okay. Like you basically have like a whole choice of like different styles, different looks, different colors. let me count these
0: beads and see how much they use. That's what somebody said like about zooming in, like counting beads and like, yeah, like that's true. Like, you know.
1: Exactly. So, I find that at that time, I and I don't really know if that's the differences now to say that, like, yes, um, social media does play. I, I guess it does in the sense that maybe from when I was learning, like, I had to just learn. I just had to do it, like, because until Merritt came around, like, until she started opening up classes and all that, that's when I really started learning more, you mm-hmm. know, from her style and her just seeing the whole differences opposed to what I was doing, which, mm-hmm. you know, was really just what I thought. It was supposed to
0: be. It was supposed to be, yeah. Like your interpretation of the art form, right? Exactly. Yeah. And,
1: and not even going off of anything. It was just because there was nothing out there unless you looked at old books or the chance that you would see somebody wearing. Because even that, like when I was, you know, I can't say that it was totally out there the way it is now. You know, like...
0: People weren't dressed up in regalia when they went to the commencement, Or no, where you would see, like, you would see them dressed in, like, your typical, like, ribbon shirt, whatnot, at a graduation.
1: The level of what it is now is Like, the adornment was not,
0: was not there as much. Yeah,
1: and it, and it was only with select people or families and things like that. It wasn't as, yeah, as out there as it is now. So it was like, now you could really see all the different influences. You could see all the different, not influences, but, like, examples of what you would want to where you could go with it basically, Mm -hmm. you know, so there, there's so much more that's out there, I guess, kind of thing. So.
0: So what do you think your responsibility is? Um,
1: I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know, I can teach, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and like I said, like, that's a I guess part of a gift I don't know if you call it that, but whatever I enjoy teaching. I enjoy mm-hmm. teaching at my at my levels of what I want to teach to <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like I don't mind doing it, so my responsibility is I feel sometimes is yeah, you know what, if I can teach it, I will teach it, I don't mind, but sometimes yeah, yeah i'm not I don't want it to feel like a burden, I don't want it to feel like it's solely my responsibility mm-hmm. to to teach anybody um my biggest thing too is that you know we kind of joked about it but it's like shit or get off the pot sometimes when you're doing beadwork like like sometimes you have to just do it you have to learn it you have to fail at it you have to try because if I'm giving you my pattern if I'm giving you my florals constantly if I am basically watching you stitch every stitch I'm not doing you any favors because the next time you try to go through it I'm not going to be there and and you might not have the time to, to, to give that person. Exactly, to constantly support. So in those cases, then yes, I feel like, you know, that that's when it's sink or swim. You got to do it on your own. You have to push through and and just do it, you know. And for the most part, I believe like there's a lot of people who who do that, obviously, because we have so many beautiful bead workers now. Mm-hmm. Um, But for anybody who's going through that process and the learning process, it is necessary to have somebody that that could help you or whatever, mm-hmm. but yeah, but don't, don't create like a dependency. You mm-hmm. have to, you have to depend on yourself a lot of the times too, mm-hmm. and just, just do it. I don't know.
0: <laughs> and I think that's what, like, I think that's maybe the downfall of social media, maybe in terms of that, of being able to see something and wanting to, cause you don't, cause you don't, you only see that isolated picture. Mm-hmm. You don't see like the hours and hours that took to do that or like, you know, like the, <laughs> the throne designs on the floor because it didn't work or whatever. And, and I think, I think we have to keep that in mind when we're, when we're trying, when we're new, we're trying new things. I can't be scrolling on like Jamie Jacobs's cool work and say, Oh man, I really want to do a cool work like that. Yeah. I really want to do that. Um, well, what's the reality 100%, of it? <laughs> it's not going to be anything near like the quality that he can produce. Mm-hmm. And I got to be realistic with myself going into the new learning that that's what's going to happen. And maybe eventually years down the line, maybe, or maybe not like if I'm one of these newbie beaters who can just like create this stuff and it's wonderful, then great. Like the jumping off point, I think now for a lot of beaters is higher than maybe when we all started off in our small bead groups or maybe learning from our grandparents or stuff like that. It's more like, you know, I don't know, like there's something going on with this like generation of bee workers it's like out of this world and i can't wait to see what happens for the next generation you know and to see like you know like we're so um
1: yeah because everything's evolving Every, yeah. there's an evolution to a lot of the styles and uh well just even beads like yeah. <laughs> colors and the accessibility to everything yeah. but it's funny that you were saying that too like because i i look at it like people don't always see that process the you know, yeah, you see, I posted at moccasins and you see it. But even for me, I only just recently started actually drawing up my stuff. Like, oh yeah,
0: you said just do it freehand.
1: Yeah, so for a really long time, just up until maybe last year. Yeah, I think it was last year. <laughs> You know, that I'm, so now I have such an appreciation for all the work that had gone into it beforehand, because, you know, you look at people's beautiful beadwork and you don't see that, you know what, they're sitting behind that beadwork, measuring it out, doing their placement, everything is drawn up onto a piece of paper, then you gotta like reverse it if it's moccasins, or you gotta do whatever, that takes a long time, you know, and now I'm, I have an appreciation for it because now that's I'm doing it more mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh man, you know, <laughs> it, I I like how it, you know, how it comes out is you get, obviously uh, everything matches a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I was just doing everything freehand before, but even just now, like, you know, I've been beating for whatever, however long, yeah. but I'm like, oh, okay. Like there's, I have an appreciation, I'm still learning and I'm still, you know, whatever. So there there's so many different processes behind those pictures that go up and And, what people see you know and the time that's put in and
0: and then i always think like when maybe say grant jonathan or somebody else posts older beadwork i can't remember who yeah it was it was grant he was away on the weekend or something and he went to a museum or he did something and he had all of these pieces he was posting on facebook and instagram and i thought oh my god look at all this great beadwork. It was like the classic white um, flat Mm -hmm. designs and whatnot. And I thought to myself, like, what were the light conditions when those things (laughs) were made? You know, like, and what was the access to supplies? And how many children did that person have? And where did they find the time? And did they have their own gardens? And did they have running water? And all of these other things, because I think like, oh man, like that's what I think about when I see beadwork is I think about all of the things that we do as and not to say that men don't do beadwork cause, or do art forms like that or whatever, but for me, I the majority of people I know are women who do beadwork, bead, do beadwork. And I just think about all that time that they are giving to this art form and what it is that they're not doing mm-hmm. or how they fit it in. Like, you know, like we were talking last time about like, you know, I would bead in the morning and I would do all this stuff and all that. I just, I just really think about all that kind of stuff. And
1: it reminds me of like a story of... Um- my, my mother would tell me about how um, her, she was raised by her grandmother um, and she lived with her. So she would always tell me because my great grandmother uh, was an avid bead worker. She, that was their, their income. So how she would do it would be in the summers, they wouldn't really be beading. The summers was um, the time for sales and things mm-hmm. like that. So they would be at the Indian village up the hill Um, They'd be selling there or they'd be selling at various, mostly there, but maybe sometimes other places. But beadwork was for winter months. Mm -hmm. So she said that a lot of her aunts, uh, her great aunts and stuff like that, or friends, like neighbors, would come through and they would almost have like an assembly line. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of get through the winter too, you know, it's their their downtime a little bit because now they don't have the chores to do. They Mm -hmm. don't have all those other things. So yeah, that would be their... uh, Their winter months would be, you know, getting together, making an assembly line, and then, you know, one person's gluing, one person's doing this, cutting, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they would all just kind of be together and and prepare for the summer when that's when they would do their sales and try to get all of their... their their money for the winter basically mm-hmm. or for whenever so that's kind of what it reminded me of like just like imagining all these like little women like sitting in a kitchen like with probably super dim light especially in the winter time
0: and i'm sure like, some of them had their kids too right like not everybody's kids were all the same age like you know there must have been yeah. some babies there or something or
1: yeah my mother at the time like her her stories, she was a little bit older, so sometimes oh, okay. she would sit and help them, you know, like she would be part of the assembly line, whatever her capacity was that she mm-hmm. could do, you know, and she would help out and things like that. So I always like those, those stories though, you know, they're interesting to hear the differences of how things were back then and verse some, some things have changed and some don't, <laughs> some haven't yeah. changed, you know, cause it's, you know, kind of this similar still, I guess, but just in different capacities, you know.
0: Well, it was, it was, um. I don't know how many years ago, I'm not sure if we talked about in the podcast, if we talked about it individually somewhere, but like there was time when they were talking about having a a collective, but maybe a few years back, they were talking about like, let's have a collective where we all put our, like, I guess, beadwork together and people just sell, maybe not necessarily in consignment, but that kind of way or, or creating a project where maybe in the same regards, like everyone did their own part of the project and Mm -hmm. different things like that. And I don't know, I just, I just thought about that because it just sounds so more like, it sounds like a collective rather than individual artists, like we're working now and different things like that. But then even then, I don't know, I don't know how it would work or anything. But
1: I know, I think they were talking about that before. Yeah, it's interesting, because yeah, I don't know how how, I've never asked that question how I should ask my mother about how They did it because now if there's an assembly line of women all helping each other, like are they splitting profit or is it like, okay, everyone bring your stuff and we'll help everyone. So whatever you do is your money, you know, so because money was tight at the time. So how did they, that's an interesting question that I'll have to ask my mother. And like,
0: I remember faintly hearing, and I can't remember who it was from, faintly hearing a story where there would be a woman and she would hire out women to do a certain thing oh okay yeah so like you know yeah. maybe they would do maybe they would do all like cut all the sh- the hearts out and then put all the fabric on or whatever mm-hmm. and then somebody else would do something else and do it that way and as you did that you got paid for your your skill and then maybe like that's how you made money i'm not 100 sure but it'd be real interesting if anybody out there mm-hmm. who's listening to our podcast <laughs> would like to share any stories maybe about um their family doing beadwork in this way that margaret and i were talking about then please send us a message through Instagram or maybe through our Yordi was a podcast site, then please do so. It'd be greatly appreciated just because um I think it's just, people have been asking us to tell stories about different things. Now I don't have any personal stories because my family didn't, Margaret has personal stories, but it'd be interesting to have some other people come in and just share, or maybe not even come in, but just like relay their stories to us. And maybe we could tell them or whatnot, but that'd be interesting. It really adds some, um, Some new conversation, maybe, and just some different perspective, I guess.
1: Mm -hmm. So our next topic is, Margaret. So, okay, so this one is a little bit, this is a juicy question, I guess. (laughs) This is going to lead into all kinds of places. Okay, so some of the questions that have been around for a very long time, people have asked, um, we recently got a question about it. How do you feel about non-Haudenosaunee, that does not mean just non-ungwe, just non-Haudenosaunee people doing raised beadwork. So what are people's feelings, thoughts on that? So that's kind of a loaded question because I think there's a lot of layers to that. And I thought it was really interesting, the topic that was brought up about how people's views on non-Haudenosaunee people doing raised Iroquois style beadwork. And I know that some people felt that they weren't comfortable with that or if they were that it was being credited or it was just kind of being put out there as a disclaimer as to where the style is coming from. So Leith, what are your thoughts
0: (laughs) (laughs) on this topic? You ask the question so you get a chance to think about your answer if it's not already created in your mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... To be fair, we talked about this for a while before the podcast, and um, we had some laughs and we had some heated discussion, (laughs) not with each other, but just in general about the topic. The only way that I could really wrap my head around this and find a real cut answer was if I I am an Iroquois raised beadworker, that's one of my areas, that is like the area that I... I focus on. If I go to a show and there are other people at the show who are not Haudenosaunee doing the artwork, well, I want to be the only one. Yeah. <laughs> if that's who I am, you know, like, not that I want to be the only one doing the beadwork because that's not true because there's other artists who are Haudenosaunee who are doing those beadwork, that beadwork too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, like, if that's our niche, and I'm saying our in the sense of Haudenosaunee, that's our niche, part of our thing, then... Not that I want to be recognized for it, but that's kind of our...
1: That's part of who we are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it's also like, not to say, that's what we know how to do. That's our contribution to what this is doing. You know, Mm -hmm. like our contribution in terms of like, this is my contribution to the difference is in the different art forms that are at the show or whatever. Every artist has their different aesthetic and all that kind of stuff. But this is a specific art form for this specific people. In the broad sense of the Haudenosaunee, Iroquois, however you want to say it, Haudenosaunee, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I kind of like, before I was like, ah, it doesn't, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But if I come to somewhere and I'm this, and you're there and you're, let's say, Margaret had a really good, good example. And she said, well, what if I went to a show (laughs) and I did Hopi pottery? but I'm not Hopi. Well, that is blatantly... Like, I think everybody would be like, what's up with that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I think, what's up with that? Then, like, I could only really see it as clear as mud when I said it that way about the show and then when you gave the example about the Hopi pottery. That's true. I think that would be kind of... Not to say odd. I don't even know what the... I don't even know what the vocabulary I would use to describe that. But... I don't know. It's not
1: like, is it cultural appropriation? You know, like if this is my part of my culture and I'm there representing somebody else, you know, like, yeah, for me, honestly, I don't know. I've never really, I guess, thought about it. So I don't really have like any, I don't have any feelings on it too much. I guess I do a little bit, but other Nguéhué, I kind of feel like i I don't care. I guess. I don't mm-hmm. care. But I do like the idea of what somebody had said that, you know what, then maybe it needs to still have disclaimers as to where they got this from because, mm-hmm. I, and and know that this is not mine. I don't, mm-hmm. this is not part of who I am, but.
0: Because, because specifically what happens is that, and the person, and I'm going to thank you for the person who reached out on Instagram and brought this topic to our attention. They call it 3D beadwork. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So it's 3D now. But when I enter a show, I call it Iroquois raised beadwork. Yeah. It's not 3D. So I don't know.
1: Because it's it's kind of like that's where things get lost and that's where things get blended, where Mm -hmm. the originality gets lost. People don't know where it comes from anymore because Mm -hmm. people like that, like things are always evolving. Things are always changing. And to keep some of that true to where it comes from, that's why sometimes I feel like, yes, giving props to where things come from is necessary mm-hmm. so that it's not getting, the lines aren't getting blurred and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well, who did this? Where did this start and what is it, you know? So for me with other Nguemue, that's kind of how I feel. I, I don't personally have anything against that. I've had other like Métis, Anishinaabe asking me, how how do you do it? They, because a lot of them have their own style. They mm-hmm. have their own flat stitch and different things like that. So in those cases, I don't mind sharing. And, and I don't mean like, oh, give props like that. It was me. It has nothing to do with me, but the art form itself that it is part of all of us and it's part of our people. And this is where it originated from. Mm-hmm. That's where I feel like the credit needs to be still um, given. The other hot topic is about what about non ungwehungwe learning? So that's non ungwehungweh people learning all the beadwork. All the beadworks. Is that what you said? All the beadworks? <laughs> the beadworks. So this is like a, yeah. So this is a hot one.
0: Okay. So everybody, just to give you a perspective on what is going on at the beading table right this second is my eyes are closed and my fingers are on my <laughs> eyeballs <laughs> thinking, okay, how are we going to gauge? How am I going to tackle this situation? This question. I'm going to talk one thing about the fir- the first question about the other nations. Mm-hmm. I would never say stay in your lane Mm -hmm. with that. I've done a pair of Sioux moccasins, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna start saying no, no, like all that kind of jazz. I don't believe that's I don't believe I have the right to say that, to say no, no one can use it. Everyone can be influenced how from somebody it's I can't control that. Mm -hmm. Now, have I used Sioux flat on moccasins I've sold them? Yes, I have. Have I also incorporated raised beadwork in that? Yes, I have. I'm gonna say, and this it might offend people, but I'm going to say it because sometimes it's it's really like staying in your lane sometimes, I guess. I don't know. It's Margaret, I'm going to tell and be honest, that is like a very loaded question. Have I taught people who are not Gnyakahaga in Gnowage? I'm not Gnyakahaga, but have I taught not people how to do beadwork? Yes, I have. That being said, I taught teachers who are teaching our children, children, how to do beadwork, how to have cultural appreciation for art and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I have. Have I also taught those people how to say words so that they can be able to talk to the kids and teach them some? I have. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Have I taught some Joe Blow just off the street because (laughs) they wanted to? No. Mm -hmm. Would I? I don't believe so. I think it depends on the context. I think in this day and age, with a lot of appropriation of different things that are happening, especially to Onguohuwe artists, I think people have to be very cautious. Mm-hmm. And am I cautious? Yes. I think that people who are teaching Onguohuwe children, in order to have appreciation for that, if they aren't having... I think they have to have be submersed in something. Like, they have, like the teachers need to have the cultural knowledge... Yeah, if you're teaching, yeah. I, I believe so. Like, you know, like, I really do like you have to, you have to have like that, like, you know,
1: cultural awareness, cultural awareness
0: of. or ethics or something. It's, you know, or, or even now, like for teachers who are teaching, they say, if you're teaching, you should be more aware of like the historical background of a certain place or whatnot. Yeah. For people who are teaching within communities, I think that's important, too. You have to have like some kind of cultural awareness of where it is you're teaching or who you're teaching, period. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like sharing all of my stuff with somebody who is just wants to learn because they want, oh, I don't know what you're going to do with it. That's the only thing I'm afraid of, plain yeah. and simple, is I don't know what you're going to do with it. And I don't want to be the one to open Pandora's box and then <laughs> be the one who's
1: <laughs> Then I it's on say, eBay ruin, and it's everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ruin it for everybody. Yeah. 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 And even though it seems so like not 2022, or maybe it is 2022 now because people are more aware of the situation and... I think it is. I, I think
1: it's more. You know, I think we have that right to say. I think we have the right to say so, and and it's okay that if people agree or disagree with it, that's totally fine. I I feel the same. I feel exactly the same because I teach. I have recently put it out there because in the beginning I never thought of it. It was never something that I that crossed my mind until I did have people who were not who I wanting to take a class, and I also had to. I had to look at that and, and look at my views on it and whatever. And I felt the same where I was kind of like, I, I don't know what your intentions are. I'm not OK with somebody taking a class or learning and then reselling it and, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that. I'm not I'm not OK with that. I don't feel comfortable with that. So on top of it, another aspect that last year, two years ago, we had something where we did um a group talk kind of thing it was just an open thing i think we did it on zoom and it was just an open thing where a, a bunch of bead workers came in and we were all sitting there we we're oh, okay, all yes, talking yes. Uh-huh. and everything and when you're beating with a group of women that you know or you're you're all part of similar backgrounds similar historical backgrounds usually you're
0: all in the same room yeah. So this um, was an exception.
1: Yeah, because we're through Zoom and it was an open thing. It, re- it was open to all. It becomes a safe space. It mm-hmm. becomes a, a, a safe gathering for everyone to talk about, you know, whatever. So when we were in that group, we realized there was a lady in there who was non-nguengue at one point. And what happened is everybody stopped talking. Yes, it was like the certain, record a, certain, scratched and yeah. everyone was like, ooh. Because then, because whatever, like... There was there was a sense of you didn't feel comfortable anymore, you know, like I, for whatever reason, that space. But because
0: well, she didn't identify herself either as not being And somehow it just kind of through the conversation, somehow it came out and then it was just radio silence a little bit. Very, very surface.
1: Yeah. So it, like in those cases. So I also look at that um, when I'm teaching, too. I want to create a safe space for the women that I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking earlier about responsibilities. Um, my, that's my responsibility as a teacher is to create a safe space for the women that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. And not everybody is comfortable. Everyone has different views mm-hmm. on it. Some people are okay with it. Some people aren't okay with it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I would rather sit on the side of respecting people's views on it. And if you're not comfortable, then I don't want to open it to everybody mm-hmm. for that reason. You know, first and foremost for our people, but also for that person. If there is somebody who is non-native taking the class, I also don't want them to feel unsafe yeah, and to be in sure. an environment mm-hmm. where they're going to be accosted or you know. So, and it does happen regardless. My views or whatever, or anybody, it, it could happen where mm-hmm. you know people will say something that might upset either. Yeah, so you don't want you know? offend anybody exactly. Really, yeah. So. Just to avoid all of that, basically, like recently, that's what I've said. Like my responsibility right now is to teach our own. That's Mm -hmm. how I feel about the situation. I feel like it's an art form that is for us that we that we've had for how many, you know, generations Mm -hmm. now. And I want our people to learn it first and foremost. So if it means taking up a spot, you know, I would rather have our own doing it first and foremost. Mm So that's kind of my views on it. And it is it's it's a touch. Touchy situation because you don't want to offend anybody, but th- that's the reality of it. And I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people do feel that way too, you know. And I don't know. It's it's just uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a
1: loaded question. It's a loaded topic, really.
0: Yeah, we had somebody on Facebook because I put out not Facebook on Instagram. I put out a question about how do you feel? what's your feelings about other nations doing Iroquois raised bee work? And somebody said more the merrier because
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know because other people do certain things from other people. It's like. If you're not going to, if you're going to be so hard line to say, no, no one else is allowed, then people are going to say, well, you can't do that. I, You can't do anybody else's other. You can't other. pull anyone yeah. else's out. Yeah. You can't find inspiration from anybody else. And I think it's being inspired. I think it's like whatever, but I don't know if it would be so well, the more the merrier in all of the world. People just keep doing everything how they want to do it. You know, like a, I don't really, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't yeah. think that's, I don't think that's how I feel about it. I don't think more the merrier in in that sense. I think that um, in terms of appropriation and whatnot, I think, uh, yeah, you got to stay in your lane sometimes. And
1: In certain places. In certain
0: things and just do. It would be
1: interesting to talk with somebody of a Sioux tribe and ask them, how do you feel if I were to do your moccasins or your style of beadwork, knowing that we have our own Mm -hmm. and where they would sit on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, like any nation, how do you feel about that? You know, especially like within the groups that, are um, reviving their, their culture or their, um, their arts and things like that. How, how would, how do they feel, you know? So it would be interesting if like we got some, you know. Somebody else
0: is interested to talk about that or share their experiences or whatnot, then please, by all means, like, let us know and be interesting to hear your perspective and hopefully you can make that happen. Yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting. There's a lot of like, so, if you haven't noticed, the last two episodes have been kind of deep. Not really like so <laughs> woohoo, like let's come to welcome to the bead table. And I think, I think that's what happens is that, um, just like at any beating table, things can be really joyous and full of laughs. And sometimes it's not so <laughs> so easygoing topics. Sometimes there are really some in depth they- things that people talk about. There's some things that make you cringe and make you feel like uncomfortable. And but like we were talking about before, the podcast is that. Things like this had to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Not that it has to be talked about on a
1: podcast, but. <laughs> but why not? But you why, know? Not? You know, like, why not? We're here why not? To me, not? I'm like, I look at it like I like transparency. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. this is the reality of it. This is what people talk about. These yeah. are the DM inboxes that people talk about. This is the stuff that I sit there and get enraged about and swear and yell about, you know, like this is the realities. And I think to have it on a platform where everyone can have some insight, their own discussions, having it interactive, it's perfect. Like, Mm -hmm. why not? (laughs) You know, so and that too, like not everyone's going to agree, which is completely fine, you know, because that's the way it is. But that's where you get like the good back and forth and different views, the dialogue and whatever. So
0: yeah, I wanted to maybe like segue for the next podcast and maybe... Put it out there to anybody if you have any questions on like um, techniques, on how we select mm-hmm. beading, on how we select beads, on the type of material we bead on, maybe our process of beadwork. We're going to touch a little bit about our own personal techniques and different things like that and how we draw inspiration for colors and designs and all of that kind of stuff. Basically, what excites us about beading?
1: Yeah, that would be a good one.
0: So that would be our next um, topic, topic for our podcast. And... uh any final words
1: there? No, I think that's about it. There were There is one topic that I would like to uh, kind of reach out. And I would like to try to find a funny way of doing it. Like when I used to teach, we always used to like say like, okay, you know what? Teachers should come up with like a, they should write a book about all of the grievances or all of the, but in a funny way where it's like lightens up the stuff that happens. So it would be funny to have like... <laughs> a podcast where it's kind of like what grinds your gears, like those palm slapping your forehead moments where you're like, oh, my God, you know, that would be funny to see like the different perspectives of of uh, artists who sell, who post things like what are some of your funny experiences as as a beater, as a seller, as a business person, like some of those things. So, for instance, when you post, how many times do you post something with all the information? And then you get asked in the inboxes, (laughs) how much is it? When is it for sale? Like those kind of things. And at what point
0: can you just say, read what I already wrote? Yeah.
1: (laughs) So those kind of funny things where you're kind of like, you know, everybody goes through it and everybody laughs about it because everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, oh my God, yeah, that happened to me, you know?
0: Or can I buy a ticket while the raffle's
1: closed? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it already went out. (laughs) So those kind of things, you know, that that would be funny to see. And something a little bit like lighthearted though, like. Not too, um, you know. Too in-depth? Not, not Yeah, not too dark and crazy. <laughs> like today? <laughs> yeah.
0: So I just want to encourage anybody who has any feedback to get in touch with us regarding either of our two potential podcast topics, uh, what materials we use, how we find inspiration, or some funny personal experiences where you just want to like put your hand in your, on your head and just say, oh my God, <laughs> they're asking me this. Then please let us know. You've been listening to The Beating Table. Oniki oh, Wahid. Oh, no. The views and opinions of the guests expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of your and its employees.